This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about all things advertising and specifically highlight some truths about the industry and where we believe it's heading in the future. Like every industry, the field of advertising has and continues to undergo significant transformations. And there's tons of reasons for this. The world of digital, COVID, the ever-expanding ecosystem of options for advertising, you name it. And we will talk about a lot of this today. Yes, and as we often like to do, we will point out some misconceptions about the industry, as well as provide clarity on what we are actually seeing to ensure we are all on the same page. That's exactly right. And also, as we often like to do, we have a special guest to join us today to discuss the topic, and that is Sasha Locke, SVP of Media and Analytics for AMP Agency. Sasha, please introduce yourself to the guests. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Anne and April. It's such a pleasure to be here. Um, uh, Sasha Locke, just a quick introduction. You know, I worked for uh, 15 years uh, plus in the industry um, across the U.S. and Germany at agencies big and small, including Havas Media, Kara, Hill Holiday, and currently I'm at AMP. I have been here for five years. I've worked on a variety of clients, big and small, including, you know, Fidelity Investments, Avocados for Mexico, Just for Men. Um, and my career actually started in digital media planning, where I really learned the ins and outs of buying, audience targeting, development, and strategy. But, you know, I evolved that career uh, into more of a hybrid role and taking on account management positions, working closely with clients. So here I am today talking to you guys um, about media and advertising as a whole and really excited to, uh, to chat. Awesome. All right. With that, we'll get into four predictions about the future of advertising. And the first one here is that human connections will always be at the core of advertising that actually breaks through. And Anne's always the first to mm -hmm. say, I always steal her expressions by this time we've spent so much time together, but <laughs> <laughs> until robots take over the world, there will always be a job up for those of us in branding, marketing, and advertising. That's and not exactly how I say it. I know. Well, okay. I You took liberties with what I say. I okay. say until the world's run by robots, there'll always be a person on the other side of the sale, which therefore... You could okay. need branding and marketing. Today. I morphed it. Got it. All right. Okay. Okay. Just just clarifying um, <laughs> for all the listeners. <laughs> all right. So to keep going, it's because the human connection is what fuels choice. So mm -hmm. when consumers are able to connect with you on an emotional level, mm -hmm. that's where we always talk about you've struck gold. And we've seen the advent of so many new things in the technology space to the point of the intro we've made. And with that comes in a lot of other industries said robots and automated systems. So we do see jobs where things like AI and AR and other things are taking over. That just will never be the case here. And Sasha and I talked about, and he'll give this perspective on this in a minute, but it's not to say that things like AI and AR, by example, aren't going to have some sort of role or can't enhance the experience or can't live in certain places where it makes it more optimal for the consumer experience. What we're saying is that there really is sort of a balance of that creativity and math, and that comes to the balance of human and then what that technology brings. And finally, the other thing I just wanna say before I turn it over to Sasha is that while we often think about advertising as an annoying disruption, it's actually now a fundamental way that people are finding new things, making purchases, looking for recommendations. So their human experience or desired consumer experience has actually changed. 
And so we think that's because of that ecosystem that has expanded. So it's no longer the commercial that interrupts your favorite TV show where mm -hmm, you take a chance mm -hmm. to go get a drink or a snack or bathroom break or whatever. It's more about what the journey is and what it looks like and how many more places we have to touch consumers. And so while that first time, and I still remember one of the first few times that those ads popped up on my phone and it was mm -hmm. like, what the heck? And I felt like an invasion of privacy and all the emotions. Now it's just normal, right? And in fact, a lot of us do shopping or we look for recommendations or mm -hmm. influencers mm -hmm. or all the things you can discover online, you name it. What used to happen as a first now is just part of our behavior. And really, I think it's part of the desired consumer behavior. All right, Sasha, I'll stop talking. Turn it over to you here. No, I, you know, I love that. It's, it's, it's a blend, right? It's, it's human and machine and like the right formula is probably some mix of the two. I think like, you know, we talk about a lot about AI now, chat GPT and programs like Dolly that can create Leonardo da Vinci like portraits, yet we're still all paying, you know, a hundred bucks to go to the museum. Um, and with <laughs> yeah. that in mind, you know, I just want to highlight like creativity, not creative per se, but creativity is really what fuels decisions that marketers make and how to best unlock that emotional connection we all hope for That's and strike gold, as you put it well, April. I think like from a media standpoint, um, when we make spend decisions and media uh, designing beautifully impactful creative and mining for human truths beyond just the data points, like we have to really consider, you know, that balance of human and machine. So for example, like it's a misnomer that this industry is suffering. Like this industry is growing. Um, ad spend is projected to grow up, uh, about six to seven percent. If you look at averages across all of the big forecasters like JP Morgan, uh, Magna Global, Group M, you know, while ad spend is going to grow, like we we all put a lot of trust and faith into people. Um, so I like to say, like media mix modeling, it can it can tell you what an optimal channel might be. But we really need smart media people to design those strategies and more importantly, be able to pivot them in a, in a moment's notice when something like a recession or COVID hit. Um, media mix modeling cannot deliver a new strategy to you on a silver platter that you can then use to tweak your dollars when sometimes we have just mere days to, to change things. And I like to think of this as, you know, back to the episode you guys had Ben Lunt on, uh, he was talking about performance max and Google, you know, the mystery black box of, you know, mm -hmm. give me your creative, tell me the KPI and I'll hit it. That all sounds, you know, good in, in uh, on paper. And a lot of it, like, I do believe it works, but what happens when it doesn't deliver? What happens when you don't know what's really driving performance? It's really not strange to me that programmatic budgets fluctuate up and down all the time. We talked about programmatic when it launched back in, you know, 2005, 2006, but TV budgets like still continue to grow and take share from programmatic sometimes. And I feel like a lot of that comes down to trust in humans to be able to see a spot, you know, in a brand safe environment, you know, on the Super Bowl, for example, or in an elevator as much benefits as performance max and programmatic can drive it is that combination of the black box and the, the machine and then the human you know putting the ad in that place that can be seen by the cmo yeah i think that's all really really fantastic insight and i i totally agree and there's a couple of things that i really wanted to point out and one is when you say mixed modeling it's mm -hmm. it's very interesting that's like pulling me just right out of the seat back into my seat of png because <laughs> that was like a big part of what we were doing and i think just the nature of, of actually having the term means that there's multiple channels that you need to consider right and i think a lot of people especially I'll, I'll go back to the png world like they focus on a couple of different channels but even you mentioned and just a conversation i mean of course you have your traditional advertising but then you have like elevators you have you know digital billboards that are popping up all over the place and then you do have the social pop-up ads 
all of those are really important ways and that you could or could be conducive ways in order to reach your consumer or your customer or your client. And the idea of being able to find the right mix is actually the, the strategic choice in it all. And the part that a lot of people skip in order to go kind of do the tactical things, I think. In order to figure out what is the right mix, my background, and, and Tasha, I invite you to, to also comment, will say that you need to curate it, right? You need to find out where your consumer is and you need to be able to connect with them and that human level in a way that feels curated, not creepy. Right. So it is kind of ironic now that before when those ads would pop up, you'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, <laughs> but now it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I do need those shoes. <laughs> I didn't even know I needed those shoes. But yes, yes, I actually do need those shoes. Right. And you're like, thank you. That feels value added. And that's a whole thing that's working behind the actual screen, if you will, through all the algorithms and the retargeting that's actually bringing you those shoes based on your whole history of, of searching. But it is kind of a weird dynamic that it is kind of starting to shift in the way that we think about what these ads feel like when they kind of pop up. So I don't know, Sasha, if you have any more to say about that, but that's just kind of like what I was thinking about as you were saying all that. Yeah, I would just add like, like we talk a lot about value. The best advertising drives value for the consumer and in turn gives value to the brand. Like value is a tough thing to quantify using data points because there's hidden value we all feel. In, in a brand, right? And that's why a brand is not a product. In fact, if a brand done well creates emotional connection, you spend more money on a product. And that value can be something like, hey, I buy that car, not because it's great and it's priced right, right? Which is what an economist would argue, but it's because I saw a movie when I was six years old and I fell in love with BMW. Yeah. And that's the kind of value like we all strive to get to. And we do things like DCO or dynamic creative optimization to serve you and, you know, or April, uh, those pair of shoes in maybe a, maybe a, a moment where you're not thinking about buying a pair of shoes, but you ha you might have a little extra cash you want to throw around that that week, and it's just it's delivered in a way that the shoes, the color, um, the style, right, is is very much relevant to what you're looking for in that week or not, and it just speaks to you and, and finds that value. All very hard to do with just a machine. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Amen to that point. Um, and you guys sort of preempted a little bit this next one, but we'll put a finer point on it, which is point two, a carefully curated advertising mix will be key in driving efficiency. So you mm -hmm. just heard lots of back and forth about the decisions to be made, the balance of the computer and the human and all of those things of how to get to the right mix. And then also the flexibility, which Sasha, I think you made a great point around the flexibility of having those humans be able to change at a moment's notice when something happens that's unforeseen that that computer could never anticipate, right? But we talked also already about the breadth of options that are out there and you know, we use the Super Bowl reference a lot too, Sasha. Not that there's not a place for that anymore, but no longer is it that we're putting all of our eggs in that one basket, right? So, you know, and, and it was a sad day for us agency folk, right? When we were no longer getting that 600 grand or whatever to produce the most amazing spot ever that was going to be on the Super Bowl, which I still miss, you know, but I think it's just now we have the smarter way of doing it. And also it's more quantifiable, right? So we talk on the show all the time about testing and learning and then optimizing. And I think that's a huge piece of this when you think about your advertising mix is, you know, when you have the Super Bowl ads, you're counting on a number of eyeballs, quote unquote, but I'll go back to my comment before about getting up to get a snack or, you know, that's the break when you go to the bathroom, whatever. You can't even quantify that by the number of people that are watching the Super Bowl because they may or may not see your ad. And then, you know, after that, you can't even get anywhere further on the journey to see what they go and do. 
this is again where the science and art come into play because we have all of these digital options and these new channels that we never had before and they let you do things like optimize your spend or actually follow that consumer journey so that you can see how they discover something and then they learn about it and where do they buy that pair of shoes where does it become the point in the journey where it makes sense for them and then ultimately that holy grail of them becoming a repeat purchaser or an ambassador of the brand right and so that testing and learning allows you to optimize your mix and you also don't always have to spend a whole bunch of money to do it right so to mm -hmm. get to that carefully curated mix you can put in small dollar amounts compared to what used to be before we had digital and really see what's working or do a b testing and see mm -hmm, which works mm -hmm, better mm -hmm. or see can i get the consumer at this point in the journey with the shoes no okay i'll try them in another place here a big mistake we see is that people get distracted by shiny objects or new things right ai and ar are big ones not to keep calling them out throughout the course of this episode but people get really excited about what could be or the opportunity of being there the cool factor and where we see issues with getting to that right curated advertising mix is when they put dollars behind something or support behind something or people behind something that doesn't make any sense and wasn't thought out from a strategic sense and they go and try it and then they're like well, it worked for so-and-so. Why right. did it not work for me? And it's like, well, you have to do it in a meaningful way, which goes back to that curation. And you have to have goals to measure your success to know then what do I optimize? Where do I test next? Where do I put my dollars? Where are we on the journey? What do you think, Sasha? Yeah, spot on. I think measurement is very key. We think about like the mix. I mean, the only constant in advertising is change, right? So yep. that's because like consumers, humans, brands, and suppliers change. And really everything evolves around the consumer. Um, this whole industry in the power dynamic is around the consumer. In fact, if you think about how we used to shop, you know, the brand or the supplier would tell you where you can buy those pair of shoes, what yep. the price was, and you had to follow those rules. And, you know, in comes the internet and changes everything. So that power dynamic is shifting. But if you think about uh, behaviors on media, I mean, digital is really going to endure because a lot of marketers are held uh, to hitting certain goals and digital happens to be the most measurable channel. I think a lot of other channels are evolving. There's providers that are creating solutions to measure things like foot traffic, uh, to measure, you know, post ad exposure to at a home. Um, but really budgets are going to be fluid this year. Um, there's not going to be probably that, uh, that much of a degree of, of change in traditional as there was during COVID um, because we aren't sitting in lockdown, but if you think about in COVID and even today, I mean, we really, we really have three buckets of channels, right? The first bucket is the tried and true must have channels. So these channels, marketers, they know they work, right? Paid search, great example. These budgets are gonna probably stay intact and maybe even see some upticks from channels that have been tested and haven't worked. The second bucket, I, I like to think of as new and emerging channels. So these channels are gonna be tested, but really with a lot of scrutiny. And this a good example is podcasting, audio. You don't get that immediate sale on the shoes, but what happens in that person's brain? Have you gotten greater share of mind? Um, and lastly, underperformers, right? These are channels which are probably losing reach to begin with, right? We saw this in the recession, 2008. Newspapers shrunk by 27%. Guess what grew by 27% that year? Uh, Amazon. These three buckets are how budgets are going to be flowing, right? When I think of new and emerging, probably commerce and content right now, these two channels are colliding and they're following the path of paid social commerce, right? So retail media connected TV are, are, are converging. Their spends are growing separately, but also together. And I think about partnerships like Kroger and Roku, 
Walmart and Paramount, these data partnerships are creating new opportunities. So what we'll probably see is like CTV becoming more shoppable, more addressable, more measurable. So that pair of shoes, you're not just getting an ad for it on CTV, you're also able to buy it. The other thing too, I think like there's this you know, concept of physical media uh, really being on the rise, even during a recession. And that, what I equate that to is again, back to our human and, and machine uh, analogy, humans crave connection. They want to go into, into stores. They want to touch products, right? And I think physical media, like experiential, like live sports experience, like outdoor media, is really going to see not only budgets being held on tight, but also a lot of innovation in the space. Um, for example, I love this campaign, Netflix, for their show called Wednesday, Wednesday Adams. They did a very in-your-face type of out-of-home campaign that was like super, super nail on the head of where you were. If you were at a bus stop, you know, for example, the ad said, you know, this show isn't as bad as being at a bus stop or something like that. <laughs> so like creative has a huge, huge part in advertising being effective, as we all know. Uh, Google, I think, said creative has a, um, a while back, this was a stat they pulled out, creative has a 60% influence on the ad being effective or not. Media, much less degree. So I think beautiful creative paired with you know, really kind of strong media channels that revolve around the human uh, consumption and their behaviors are going to work the best. I think that trend is right on. And I think the whole goal, and you hit on this, is to drive conversion as quickly as possible, right? And so you can you can argue whether or not people have limited attention spans or not. I, I've heard people say on both sides of the spectrum, but that being the case, the tighter and the cleaner and the more clever, I use clever just as kind of like an analogy for good, your creative can be, the more memorable it is and the more you can drive people down that funnel. And that's always was like the core of any advertising was recall being a big one, right? And the recall was driven a lot by the creative and the relevancy, but then also what is your intent to buy as a result and so now that we have all these things to kind of mixing together your intent to buy can be quickly measured by here's your ad here is like the button to actually go buy now and so that everything's kind of kind of really tighten up and because of that you have to be very consistent across the channels and we say this a lot that in, in you mentioned the word campaign and i'm going to bring that back is as you're developing these media platforms, it's still extremely important that they be rooted in some sort of branding marketing effort, <laughs> which we would call a marketing campaign. And so the brands and the companies and the businesses who are doing this really well are deciding what their creative execution is gonna be and then figuring out how to articulate that or how to bring that to life appropriately through their marketing mix and through the media mix in order for everything to kind of coalesce and work together to create this ecosystem that people need around them in order to really drive their intent to buy. And the smarter that you can make these things work together and intertwine them together, like your Wednesday example, which um, I think is, is brilliant because of the way that they are taking that creative and putting it in the mindset of something that you can actually go do now. Oh, I can look that show up right now is one or like, hey, like again, like what you said before, I see that advertisement, I can now buy it right from that advertisement. Those things are starting to kind of create a lot of traction. And I think that mindset of strategically kind of tying everything together as tight as you possibly can and make sure it's executed appropriate across each channel develops that media platform in a very meaningful and productive way, which drives that efficiency we were talking about before. 
For sure. And just to add, I remember 15 years ago, not a new example, but for Bostonians, right? The, the Taxi Tops, Scrub-A-Dub was the company. It's like a spa for your car. That was it. <laughs> very relevant, very on the nose, spoke to Bostonians, but I still remember what the brand was because I saw it over and over. And this is, you know, dating myself back when taxi cabs, no Uber back then. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a relevant example all the same. I think it drives the point home. Marketing Smarts is sponsored by scottmaltz.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com. Scott Maltz is a popular keynote speaker and number one best-selling author whose latest book and talk, Leading from the Middle, helps middle managers dramatically increase their influence up, down, and across their organization. Want your company's middle managers and leaders equipped to foster a high-performing organization? Want them inspired to drive the change and transformation that's a challenging necessity moving forward? Then go to scottmaltz.com to check out Leading from the Middle and all of Scott's keynotes, trainings, courses, and books. On a personal note, Marketing Smarts has worked with Scott as our business coach and found our own successful results, so we highly endorse him. All right, so number three here in four predictions about the future of advertising is influencers will rule as brand storytellers. This is one where we've been having a lot of conversation and I keep thinking of the word maturation, right? You know, when influencers first came out, it was a pretty tight definition of what that was. And now when you think about it, you see that it transcends different channels and it mixes with other, well, words of what you would call these folks, but also what they're doing and, you know, what their role is. And so really specifically when influencers first came out as a pretty simple model, right? you sent someone, a person with a large following that hopefully hit the demographic and psychographic of who you were trying to target, right? Your product or your service to try and mm -hmm. or you would pay them to promote it, right? And oftentimes this came to life on social channels or through videos created or posts or blogs, etc. And that was the definition of influencers. It was a way for brands to promote while having someone else speak on their behalf. So they didn't have to be the mouthpiece and therefore it helped build some more authenticity in that human experience that we've been talking about through all of this, which made sense naturally, right? Because what's one of the biggest ways we hear about things and what are brands always chasing? Word of mouth, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this was a new manifestation of it, a new way to go and ask, right? Or someone you followed promoted something and said, I use this, I put my name behind it. It was like, oh, well, that's different than Tide, as we always talk about since Anne worked on Tide for so many years, saying, we are the best brand, we do the best job, you know, in the hearts of minds of consumers, we're the always the go-to, those types of things, it's now coming from someone else. And if you're following them, you're likely following them for different reasons, right? And so when we think about the model now though, and we think about again, back to that word maturation, I'm starting to think about the conversation we've been having around how it mixes and it morphs and it changes and we start to make it tighter. We hope we can get to the conversion faster and there's more options. So we have to be tight on the journey we're trying to, to put people on, right? So the definition has changed in ways that we see influencers who we wouldn't put in that traditional model, right? But they certainly are. I mean, Sasha, you and I talked about Joe Rogan right? Mm -hmm. You've already talked about podcasts on here. You know, people promoting products or talking about things. I mean, we have a marketing sparks moment, right? So we'd have to mm -hmm. think that Anne and I are influencers in the way that people that are following along and believe in what we're talking about hear us in those marketing moments, talk about things that are good or not so good and experiences mm -hmm. we have, and we are influencing them, 
right? I'll give kind of an outrageous example. And for those of you that know me and know me fairly well, I am obsessed with Shaquille O'Neal, right? Mm -hmm. Not a, not an NBA basketball fan whatsoever. It's all of his post-career stuff that he has been doing. And so I follow him online. Now, I'm not maybe buying the same products, but I can see the beauty of the way in which he's influencing, right? So he has his 51st birthday party. He doesn't say Reebok is the sponsor, but what shoes is he wearing to that sneaker fest? He's wearing the new Reeboks and calling them out, right? So influencer in kind of a different way, you know, we'd think paid celebrity sponsorship, all of those types of things, but the definition kind of goes across. I mean, Ann and I were in Hilton Head last week and I was like, oh shoot, we've got to get pictures for the forthright people social, right? And she's like, this is the world of being an influencer, April. We've got to make sure that we're, <laughs> you know, that we're nailing that stuff down. And that was a little bit of a facetious thing, right? But yeah, tongue in cheek definition of it. But I think just to say that influencers came about at a time where we're, you know, there was some exploration about what they could be. And now it's just morphed into this word of mouth machine and it's blending across the channels, the experiences, and it's allowing for a bigger story to be told by all of the channels, all the people involved, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. And personally for me, I mean, an influencer, it's, it's the neighborhood dad with all the best hiking trails, you know, I could take <laughs> yeah. my three kids on, you know, it's, it's a business insider. It's, it's a YouTube chef who's selling his own flaky salts and I'm buying them for way too much money for flaky salt. But I think to your point, <laughs> Um, you know, in advertising, influencers have a very specific definition, and that is really to have a, have a purpose on the media plan um, and leverage their own clout and, and leverage reach, right? And that applies to whether these influencers are micro-influencers or macro or anything in between. Um, the purpose is really to endorse brands in a way that can unlock that word of mouth effect. And I think it's a really powerful channel because we build emotional connections with humans using influencers a lot with media. In fact, Back when Influencer uh, started, I was handpicking influencers for avocados from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Now we at AMP, we have a whole influencer team, this group of amazing people that that's what they do is they specialize in this channel. And I call it a channel um, because it has a very specific role on that plan, right? I think also something that's interesting, uh, and I recall this back to when I was at the YouTube New Fronts a few years ago, listening to Casey Neistat, who you know has millions of followers, he's a YouTube creator. Influencers, uh, as he pointed out, don't mask the fact that they're influencers and that they're endorsing brands. That's a really good way to lose trust and lose viewers. So now what we're seeing is very transparent behavior with influencers, whether that's Joe Rogan saying, this episode's brought to you by Athletic Greens, or you know Casey Neistat really at the beginning of the episode or whatever he's filming, saying that this is a sponsored promotion. And I think that helps to build trust between humans and influencers because they know that this is sponsored. They also know that uh, sponsoring helps bring revenue to the influencers, which in turn helps them make more content. And I think a lot of people we've seen in, in the data, a lot of people trust influencers and actually they make purchase decisions after being exposed to those messages through an influencer. So influencers work. It's interesting, you know, in one of these channels, it's not necessarily measurable, but um, we have seen a lot of collision between uh, affiliate and influencer, the two worlds in these two channels, right? Influencers leveraging that clout and great content and affiliate marketing, which is a CPA-based or cost-per-action-based channel. Influencers are essentially affiliates now and, and, and vice versa. The other thing too, it's interesting for me personally, is the fact that we have this debate around, you know, um, influencer versus creator. And these two words are kind of used interchangeably sometimes, but I feel that influencers typically have this stigma around them 
when, when it's the creator um, who's sponsoring a brand, even if they're doing it transparently, there's still this kind of stigma that I'm selling something to my viewers. I want to be careful. So some influencers, you know, typically call themselves creators, but as much as we all love to believe the bachelor in paradise contestants go on for the right reasons, (laughs) what happens on social after the show isn't necessarily reflective of that. And a lot of them do become influencers. So it, you know, I think that this is a channel that's growing, evolving, but it really takes a right, the right team, you know, and hopefully a, a hired at a good agency like yours or mine to uh, really nail it for brands. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I was around when influencers just started to, and actually I was one of the first people who started to really uh, synthesize a program for P&G around that, although I was not the first person to use influencers. So I don't, I just want to be clear for all my P&Gers who are listening. But I think your point that it's highly orchestrated is a very good one. And your point about it being a word of mouth machine is also a really good one because it's kind of morphed to some extent where initially I think the use of influencers was, was all about that endorsement and getting to that audience that was kind of felt elusive to a brand or they couldn't reach authentically, which is still a, a core of why people use influencers today. But I'm thinking, too, as it's starting to kind of morph into its own channel, as you said, it's about the exposure as much as it's about the endorsement, right? A lot of these influencers and these are, are creating like these this following of massive amount of visuals that whether or not they're going to say, hey, I put my name on this or I think you should use this. This is the best thing ever. The fact that it's just there and the number of eyeballs you're getting is an exposure play. It's an awareness play that actually drives a lot of recognition. And yes, does it help when it comes from certain influencers? For sure. But sometimes it's about just seeing it. And then do you see it again in another channel? And you see it again in a different channel. So it kind of just adds to that to that mix. And so I think it's a really interesting role that the influencers are playing here in being a channel in themselves, not just from an endorsement standpoint, but from awareness standpoint. And I think that's all kind of like starting to uh, really become a very apparent thing. So even um, I'm watching Next Level Chef right now. Yep. Half the people, I mean, it may not be half, but a good number of the contestants are social media chefs. I mean, all the, the whole following is just based on the food looking good. It may not even <laughs> taste good, right? It's just them tasting and saying, oh, this tastes good. Well, it could taste like shit. Nobody else would know the difference, right? <laughs> but the, the whole reason for having them where you could actually be a chef be like they're not a real chef they were not culinary trained they don't work in a restaurant they don't like you can sit there and just like bash their credentials all day but the exposure that their platform is giving to that show (laughs) and just elevating the 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 status of that show is invaluable and that's why it's like so important to consider influencers and the role influencers are playing in your brand this is not no longer a should i use them this is how am i going to use them for sure. Couldn't agree more. Uh, influencer belongs on every media plan, I think. Um, and a lot of brands have opted to run this channel themselves just to make sure that brand messages are coming through. But again, hopefully they hire your agency or mine to do it yeah. better. It's not a good thing to run your own influencer marketing campaign. It's, you have to separate church and state. I just totally agree. Number four, advertising that has longevity will focus on systemic tensions over short-term trends. And Sasha, this is another one that you and I talked about, right? And this is, again, we're bringing back that humanity lens to things. And we've talked about this a little bit so far, but we do see a lot of this post-COVID, right? Where things that became quote-unquote trends were more necessity-based than actual trends. And so 
you know, digital shopping went up tremendously. The wrong assumption to make here was that that was going to be the way of the future without putting the human lens on it on the other side of pandemic, right? We've seen in-store shopping come back in a big way. Sasha, you're the stat man, so I know you're going to have a whole bunch of, of things to say about this. But now that we can actually go back in and we can touch things and see mm -hmm. things and feel the items as well as just be around people in a social environment again, to not anticipate that that was going to come back would have assumed that we were always going to be in COVID land, right? right? And so it's a misconception. And so you have to think, okay, it may not boomerang all the way back, likely it wouldn't, right? But you have to accommodate the fact that people are going to want to be able to go back to those behaviors. And also the truth of the matter is, there are some things that will always be easier to buy in person, whether it's trying on clothes in a dressing room, or I'm going to go buy things for my house, and I want to feel what that throw is, or I want to pick the material for my couch and sit on it. All of those types of behaviors are coming back. Same is true of travel. Travel shut down because it was mandated that mm -hmm. it be shut down. Well, we all got a whole lot of stir crazy in us. And while there was some hesitancy to hop back on an airplane, I can tell you after being in airports last week for a good amount of the week, it was like nothing had ever has ever happened, right? People are going all over the place. In fact, I would say that the airlines are suffering from fatigue trying to get all of us where we need to be mm -hmm. going. But the important thing here is, again, to go back to the mix we've talked about, the human components of this episode. You have to spread the love when it comes to spend. And remember that, again, we're not robots. And so when you put the lens of the humanity on top of trends, we certainly can't predict human behavior but we should be able to intelligently look at things and say okay we've had some serious swings in recent years so there's going to be a resettling and what do we actually think that's going to look like and therefore what mix are we putting together what's been and what do we anticipate our consumers are going to be and what their journey is going to be moving forward for sure and you know i'm just thinking like the date of this recording is march 15th this is the three-year anniversary of essentially COVID shutdowns in the U.S., right? It's a oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Three years ago, I told my team at the office to take important items home just in case. And we never went back to that office. Um, and fast forward today, you know, we're, we are living in a different world. It doesn't feel in a lot of ways like it's a 180 from where we started three years ago, but it has changed for sure. So you think about various verticals, and I mentioned earlier, ad spend is projected to grow, you know, six to 7% this year. Various verticals are picking up, you know, two to three times faster than that clip. Like travel is expected to grow and ad spend by 20%, uh, retail by 18%. And these verticals have gone through rapid change and they continue to evolve. A lot of them kind of feel back to quote unquote pre-pandemic normal. But for example, let's take retail. You know, you mentioned online uh, online shopping and, and in-store shopping. Retail is forever changed, right? The pendulum right now feels like it's swinging back to the middle where a lot of uh, shopping is done as omni-channel shopping, right? There's online, there's in-store. So, you know, think about some stats um, and thank you for calling me the stat man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do I do love a good statistic, but, you know, I think something like in-store sales growing five times faster than e-commerce sales between May 2021 and 2022 is a powerful stat, right? We crave human connection. We want to, you know, feel product in our hands. We want to have that experience. And to your point, some products are just better bought 
in person. You can't buy everything online and feel fully confident that's going to be what you need. Meta, you know, has a lot of stats around what they call hybrid shopping. So shoppers blending touch points, researching and purchasing both uh, digitally and in store, often simultaneously, right? Going into a store, researching that product on your phone, maybe buying it on your phone through a cheaper retailer. There was always that example of Best Buy being the showroom for Amazon, right? You'd go in to buy a TV, <laughs> yep. find that TV, and then you buy it on Amazon. And so I give a lot of credit to you know our grocery clients at Ajo Del Hayes, who are like at the forefront of omnichannel shopping. Uh, they understand that most grocery shoppers buy product in store, they buy it online, whether it's click and collect or, or delivery. And you know what they want to do is be that store that captures that shopper, regardless of where they're uh, buying. The other thing too is like fidgetal shopping. And I, I, I typically hate these buzzwords where you blend two words. Like <laughs> I don't like uh, that either. I yeah. don't, I don't either. Um, but fidgetal shopping, if you, if you Google that, a lot of stats around QR code usage. I mean, we all joked about QRs when they came out. Um, and <laughs> I feel like they're still not dead. Uh, I don't know if they're thriving <laughs> or not. I feel like I see a QR code and everything, but you know, QR code uh, usage in store has picked up about 300% between 2020 and 2022. You know, back to me, back to media for a minute too. Like 2020 April, we saw drastic changes in how people are consuming channels. We saw huge ups, upticks in social CTV time spent. We were craving connection. We were craving levity. We saw the emergence of you know streaming audio uh, channels in a new light, like Clubhouse, the audio-only social network. That was never a thing we talked about, but a lot of those media behaviors are kind of back to pre-pandemic levels. However, our consumption and and you know different sources of truth, different sources of information, fun and levity are changed now. I'll give you an example. Like I have started to listen to more podcasts after the pandemic, even though I don't commute as much. Um, so just like, you know, all humans change, I think so will our industry. I agree. Although I'll say the the thing that just popped in my mind is the more things change, the more they stay the same <laughs> to some extent, <laughs> which is a really interesting probably analysis of psychological behavior, which we don't have time for here and I'm not an expert in, but I'm sure Adam Grant would know. Oh, geez. And um, obsessed with Adam Grant these so days. So I'm trying to get it into every single podcast episode just for repetition. Eventually he'll hear it. But that's my influencer thing working there. But anyway. He's great. He's great. Yep. Um, but I, I think there's two things I wanted to say about this and I'd have more, but um, the two things that are popping in my mind. One is if COVID's taught us anything, it's taught us that we, they need to be flexible, right? And I think that was something that will continue to learn and that will continue to stay and, and be the mainstay is that we have to have flexibility and that we can't be the one trick ponies. We can't rely on certain channels and, and that just be everything that we put all of our focus on, all of our money on, everything like that, which means we have to have a level of vigilance and that vigilance helps us to really become aware and be in it to understand where people's behaviors are shifting and moving. Because like you said, April, some are shifting back. Some yep. are like, I really do like shopping in store. That's never gonna go away. When some people were like, you know, that I seen Kroger start to convert to like purely digital stores. I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe not. But if you would have thought that that was gonna be the case, maybe, you know, that the whole idea of the, the delivery would have peaked more frankly, during COVID and, and sustained itself where I mean, I don't even see the grocery stores change like they're not ghost towns, right? There's still people going in to go shopping. So some things are maybe a little bit still before their time. And so in some ways, COVID accelerated other things, right? But 
I think the one thing here to kind of go back to the point about short-term trends versus long-term tensions is that some consumer behavior is based on a level of humanity that's just intrinsic of being human. Um, and so we have to recognize those as well as kind of be on the watch out for things that may be kind of flexing and coming in, but instead of glamming onto these short-term trends, which can be very dangerous for your budget, for your brand reputation, um, all of those sorts of things, it's a test to learn around them and just kind of see what they do with regards to your brand reputation, credibility, your business growth, versus kind of going all in and thinking that, okay, well, COVID now makes, if this like little thing is happening, the whole world's gonna shift, right? I, I think you have to be careful not to overcompensate or overinvest in, in what we're seeing, thinking that now the COVID behavior has got us trained that like every little thing is gonna be some sort of massive transition, some sort of massive shift, or it's gonna go there. I'm like, I have people tell me, marketing and branding is gonna go away because of these AI bots. I'm like, are you really serious right now? You think an AI <laughs> bot is gonna replace branding and marketing? I'm like, I don't think so. Will they have a role to play? For sure. But it's kind of like now everybody kind of has this like knee jerk reaction to everything. So I think it's really important to kind of consider the strategy of it all and think about how your those human tensions that you've based your brand on, how true are they still? They continue to maintain a hypervigilance, but not that knee-jerk reaction to every single little thing that comes through. Well, and I just to continue the grocery discussion here and sort of the short-term versus long-term. So one of the things that we're seeing pop up in Kroger are bars and music being played inside mm. the Kroger's, right? So I completely understand how that came to be when we were during COVID or how that would be a natural thing, right? Like, well, people are spending more time in the grocery store. Well, it was the only place we could go. Right. And now we've invested all this money to change the footprint of the store. Now you can always make the argument that if you've had a few drinks and you're gonna go shopping, you'll likely buy more. I think maybe that's true. But that's I don't- a fact. That's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> but I don't think that that is the impetus of this, right? And so I'm finding it really interesting to watch. And I will say for the first time ever this past weekend, I participated. I've never had any inclination to do this. It's because I know the musician he played in our wedding. I adore him. But there was something still very unnerving and unnatural about the situation for me. And so that's one that I'm watching is kind of one of those knee jerk trends to say, Looking into the future in my crystal ball, if I had to make a prediction, it's that those types of things are going to go away because we can now go to music venues yeah. and bars and all these other places that I think are just much more conducive. I also feel like there's a little bit of judginess going on by some of the people not partaking when we're sitting at the bar having drinks. Of course so, there is. You know. So anyway, I just, for contextualization, that was one that popped in as you were talking where I was like, yep, that's one of those ones that I look at and I'm like, uh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, good good examples. I feel like, you know, back to our whole macro level point about human and machine. For our own jobs, I hope that the machine will not replace the human. But I think back to you know, Keanu Reeves' movie, circa 1999, that says otherwise. I do like the point a lot about knee-jerk reactions. And I think that's, that's a very valid point. Thinking about marketer and decisions, marketers always, you know, have a choice to be the first to fail or to follow. And I think knee-jerk reactions you know, hire a good team that can advise you on on where to spend your money, similar to, you know, investments and, and you know, stock advisors. Okay. If you want to spend your money, hire the people that understand the market, the stock market. They can tell which stocks are 
you know, going to skyrocket and then tank or the stocks that are going to very slowly grow, but they're going to grow over time. And for me personally, that's waste management. So trash, something we're producing much more of, but I do think it comes back to, you know, keeping humans um, in our industry, keeping it very human and the decisions we make, you know, not being knee jerk, but, but, you know, thought out, not also overly relying on the data. Sometimes you just have to make gut feel decisions. Yes. Supplemented by data. But I think like a lot of creative that we produce in this industry is not made, you know, by data points and robots. It's made by people that feel like, you know, comedy is a great barrier, you know, to break down between brands and consumers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All good points. All right. And our final segment when we don't have a guest is a brand that's doing things well or not so well within the marketing space. And I kind of chatted about that before from the influencer perspective. But when we have a guest, obviously, we believe that the guest is doing a good job in the marketing <laughs> space. So Sasha, we've talked about all kinds of things today. So we always encourage our guests to put a fine point on things, talk about anything we didn't cover. And then of course, let people know where they can find you, give a plug for your business, whatever you want to do. This is your few minutes here. No, appreciate it. Um, I think we did cover a lot of ground between shoes, bachelor in paradise, grocery <laughs> shopping, and even drinking and being feeling judged. <laughs> Only on marketing smarts, everybody. Only on marketing smarts. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is a great conversation. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you both. I think um, this is a conversation that'll keep evolving and maybe we'll do another episode sometime, but really appreciate you guys both. You can find me at uh, LinkedIn, Sasha lock l-o-c-k or send me an email s-l-o-c-k slock uh, <laughs> at ampagency.com i work at amp agency we're a full service marketing agency that does things like influencer media creative all the good stuff in marketing but it's been a lot of fun thank you guys awesome. thank you well, and thank you for joining us i think this has been great so just to recap, four predictions about the future of advertising. Number one, human connections will be at the core of advertising that actually breaks through. Until robots rule the world, emotion will be the differentiator in that human lens. Number two, a carefully curated advertising mix will be key in driving efficiency. Gone are the days of a single investment in a super expensive TV spot. The right mix ensures optimal success. Number three, influencers will rule as brand storytellers. The definition has broadened and changed to include many more people as influencers, whether formally or informally. And finally, number four, advertising that has longevity will focus on systemic tensions over short-term trends. All trends deserve our attention, but not all of them will have long-term impact. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.